Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I spoke with Asad Hamir, the CEO and founder behind modular phone accessories brand, Nolly. We spoke about how he tested the concept of Nolly before going forward with the expensive manufacturing run with only a rectangular box that he showed people at an event that had absolutely no electronics in it. And also how you can find a manufacturer in China to build complex products like what Nolly has. And also how he created a brand that stands out massively from the noise of the cheap phone cases and accessories that already exist out there. It's a very noisy market, but Nolly's created a brand that really stands out. And it's it's so refreshing and so nice to hear um, Asad's answer on, on, on those sort of topics. It was a really cool episode because I've walked past his store many times in Shoreditch. Uh, He's got his own store selling mobile phone cases and other accessories. And it's really, really cool. Um, So I I wanted to get him on for a while and it's really nice to have him on uh, finally. Now, a bit of an announcement. I want to thank each and every one of you guys for listening to this podcast over the last year and a half. It's been such a great journey. We've been listening to around the world and now we've hit episode number 80 with this episode, which is pretty crazy. it's, It's pretty phenomenal to think that. Um, and now that it's on a bit of a round number, I think it's time to take a bit of a break before restarting in the new year in 2022. So the same sort of break last year and it was really good because, yeah, it's very refreshing just like recording every week. So if you do want to listen to them over December, we've got loads of different episodes that you can go back and listen to, of course. Um, and you can always, you know, follow us on Instagram, all that good stuff, because we'll still, I'll still be posting some stuff over the next coming months. So please do keep your eyes peeled for that. And yeah, I think that's it. If you do want to keep in touch, you can always message us on Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, please do leave a review on our podcast if you haven't already. I can't give you a shout out in the next episode. Well, I can, but it just won't be until 2022. So please do leave a review on our podcast if you did enjoy this season. Um, and yeah, I'll be back in the new year. Enjoy this episode. Hey, Asad, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How's it going, man? Great, great to be on here. Yeah. yeah, really good. Really good, thanks. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's been an episode that we've been waiting for a long time, and I've been kind of admiring Nolly and your brand for a long time. I've kind of like in your shop in Shoreditch, I've walked past like a million times. Um, so it's quite it's quite surreal for you to be on the podcast because you've actually started it. It's pretty cool to have you on. Oh, pleasure. You can't miss the store, right? <laughs> it's like bright orange. Yeah, you can't you can't miss it. It's bright orange inside. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I must have been on purpose, right? To try to draw the eyes in. Yeah, definitely, man. What's the brightest color we could do against the black backdrop of Box Park in it? That was the idea. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> no, it's good. So I, I'd, I'd love to talk about, I guess, what Nolly is before we jump into, I guess, like all the value that I know that you, you would, you'd be able to deliver because, especially for hardware businesses out there, a lot of people that want to start hardware businesses, I'm sure you ran into a lot of challenges that. A lot of people would love to hear about. So I guess first things first, what is what is Nolly? Yeah, so Nolly Nolly's a, a British uh, London-based um, mobile accessories brand, um, and I started it from my own kind of personal frustrations with tech. So I've been in the mobile tech game for like twelve years. So I qualified optometrist by trades, did something completely different at university, um, but then uh, third year uni, uh, Steve Jobs got up, got up on stage and said, "Here's iPhone." Um, and that kind of got me into the, the telco game. So I started a reseller business and I was selling the likes of Belkin, Apple, Samsung, all the brands for like years. Um, our reseller business got up to about 100,000 customers at one point. Um, and, um, and just, I used to get lots of freebies from all these brands and I used to get, therefore have 
tech bags full of full of stuff and and i just found that it was like everyone was doing the same thing and there were so many like unmet needs in the market it almost felt like tech brands were disconnected from what customers actually wanted um and they weren't actually properly listening um so my my view is like how do we how do we yeah how do we improve this how do we make it better um, and I actually had a, a design, design, uh, my first taste of design. I'm not a designer myself, but I'd, I'd done a design project on something else, which gave me a kind of um, uh, an open eye into like industrial design. And um, industrial design is is very different uh, from many other forms of design because it's very much starts with like, what are the problems that, you know, there are in, in certain spaces. Um, and, uh, and looking at macro and microeconomic trends and, you know, you're looking very wide, you kind of zoom in and zoom back out. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, that kind of made me think, how do we apply industrial design at the mobile tech space and how do we solve for these problems? Not only, not only today, but also into the future. Um, and that was, that was very much where we started. And I had my own personal, personal kind of problems, whether it was my charges failing and cables breaking and traveling all over. Um, and so I approached an industrial design studio in, in London, um, and we started working on it in 2017. And for me, like, um, having been in the game for a long time as well, it's a bit, it was always like quite a passion project. And to be honest, I started it off, like just thinking, let's just see what we can, like what you almost as a research piece, like I was more intrigued as to what the ideas that we could come out with. Um, I wasn't even then thinking, you know, um, we're going to turn this into an actual business. You know, the idea was like, let's see what problems we can solve and then how we can actually make it. Because I knew hardware was hard. You know, it's not it's not easy launching launching products. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where we started. Um, um, but like um, in terms of then once we've actually uh, created the designs and stuff, what was really important was validating it. So we uh, did our first uh, London Design Festival uh, where we actually put the products in front of must have been thousands of people. We had a stand in 2017. Um, and, um, you know, my, my thoughts were like, I didn't want to Kickstarter at that point because like I still wasn't 100% sure. We had a number of risks in the project. Um, and I actually wanted to just get it in front of people and see what their thoughts were, get, get the good stuff, the bad stuff. And I knew that the design crowd would be quite a discerning crowd. <laughs> you know, they, they, def they definitely always have an opinion, right? Um, and so, um, yeah. And, and then I guess from there we started, um, developing the products and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, that's how, that's how it started. What was the, what was the first product? Remember? So the first, so we actually had five concepts in the first initial, uh, stage and only, uh, three of them actually made it into final mass production. Uh, so two, two of them actually failed in the uh, development phase. Um, and, um, yeah, three, three made it through first product was the couple, uh, case system, which is the modular case system. And the idea there was, I remember, uh, back in 2017, um, uh, you know, smartphones, uh, were getting harder and harder to break, um, as ma manufacturers were starting to introduce, um, harder materials. You can see now with the iPhone 12s and 13s, they're really hard to break almost. So I knew that protection as a category when it came to cases would decline, um, over time um, and it's starting to happen um, but i knew that uh, as people were using their phones more and more 
um, that what you do with that phone would become almost intertwined with your lifestyles, whether it be like running or, you know, biking or cars or, you know, wherever it was. So how could we create something that was modular, uh, which would allow you to attach different accessories to the back of, back of your phone. Um, but that wasn't like the current incumbents that were there at the time. So a lot of the products were still there today. They were just like really ugly. I was like, why, why is there nothing that's beautiful and at the same time can be functional? Um, so yeah, couple, couple was the first one. Um, and then we launched uh, loop, uh, which is a cable, uh, which has a really neat kind of loop feature. Uh, then we launched the duo plug and then set battery, uh, most recently. But when you, when you first kind of started it in 2017, I think you said you had these kind of hypotheses in your mind where it was like, I think the products out there, they're being, they're being released, but they're not really solving the problems that yeah. exist. So I guess, how did you kind of test that before you actually actually started, I guess, prototyping, it, if that makes sense? Or was that prototyping stage, that testing phase? I've never been in hardware myself. So it's really interesting to hear the process of kind of testing it. And, mm. and like, yeah, at what stage? Yeah, what stage do you have to do that? So um, the kind of problem phase was was done because I had all that insight from my existing business. So that I knew was validated. Um, the next phase was the actual design, so whether people would actually like the design. Um, and that's why we did London Design Festival. So a big part of that was actually just like, uh, none of it, none of it actually had any electronics inside. Like it was all empty boxes and it was literally, uh, four models where we would talk people through the concept and then see what they think. So kind of like how, when people describe like focus groups or things like that, but on a, like on a massive scale, like we had, like I said, three, two, three thousand people. Um, and what we also did, if you, if you were to look at it on Google and type in design frontiers, uh, and Nolly, um, is we created the right environment for, for Nolly as well. So we had like this beautiful installation inside the space. So it, it made people think or realize what the brand's all around It's about simplicity. It's about beauty. It's about form. It's about function. So they immediately, when they're walking in, they had these things in their mind as well as then us talking, uh, them through it. Um, I think doing that one-on-one -on -one with people was the only way you're going to be able to get that live feedback. So I just got, I got like a whole focus group session or multiple sessions people would normally run over three days, <laughs> you know, intense. I was absolutely knackered by the end of it, but, um, but yeah, I knew by the end of it, it was going to work. And they were just from, just to kind of paint the picture, they were just like boxes. They didn't have any sort of wires in them, any Nothing. electronics. They were just kind of like rectangular like boxes complete form models nothing there was nothing that worked even like i remember like the plugs and stuff they break <laughs> on the stand and people would be folding them out and and you know and and so we had to explain to people this they're form models you know they're, they're not the actual products they're you know um they're they're just ideas the, the, the case mechanism had a little bit of a function to it but it just wore out quickly um so yeah it was exactly like how you would prototype i don't know uh are you like i'm doing some ux design at the moment i'm prototyping that and and i'm showing it to people and seeing what they think it's exactly the same process no no difference at all um and that's the way you've got to do product mm, i mean that 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 rectangular box is the equivalent of like a landing page yeah. right when you're first kind of launching the mvp it's kind of yeah. it's the equivalent which is really nice it's 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 very cool to see the applicability of that whole like MVP or yeah. like the, the testing phase on a more, on a manufacturing stage. Yeah. It's really nice to see. So it's, and, and how kind of important was that for you going forward? Yeah, massively, man. I mean, even uh, one thing that you'll see about the colors and we talked about the store being orange, 
Um, I my belief was that um, tech is not something that you wear; it's something that you use, and you know um, you're you're obviously holding it and it's in your walls and all that stuff. But my view was that actually people would be a little bit more expressive on their tech um, uh, than they would be, uh, I guess I don't know, a pair of glasses or you know um, uh, you know in the fashion they use or whatever. So validating that was really important. Validating also like uh, people wanted to customize colors and interchange and you know you see it with the Nolly site. You can actually play and mix and match. And we're actually going to take that a lot further next year in different products we're doing. Um, so those things were like super important because not only did that validate the product, it validated how we're going to sell it, what the website's like, um, you know, um, where, where those gaps were, um, how we had to create the packaging. Um, you know, all of those things made us think that actually, you know, we, we weren't just building a product, we we're building a way we're going to, we're going to actually create a business and, you know, the value proposition to the customer. So it was everything. So you got that, you got that initial feedback at that, at that event. And then what was the sort of like next stage? What, what did you kind of do with that feedback? What was the kind of like learning phase and yeah. how did you kind of test it even more once you kind of, I guess the next stage was actually building the product. Yeah, exactly. So the next stage is once you've got the validation, the next phase is actually going and making it. So getting into China and then, and that's where I think we, we, um, we got a little bit unstuck. So, um, like, uh, you know, manufacturing products is hard, um, definitely. But Nolly, if you look at it, it looks simple, but underneath the surface is actually quite complex. Uh, you've got mechanical solutions, you've got electrical solutions, not simple electrical solutions, things that people haven't done before as well. Um, and I had done quite a bit of product before in the fashion sense, but not anything anywhere near this. And that took a while, to be honest, like building supply chain, getting factories to understand it. Um, you know, uh, also like, you know, when you're starting, your MAQs are not high enough. So getting the factory to emotionally buy into you uh, because you're having to get them to do something that they've not done before, um, you know, testing, certification. So um, I was, you know, I look back on now, I was an amateur. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and actually what happened was uh, we subcontracted it to someone and they screwed it up. Um, and it's probably the worst thing that happened, but it's also the best thing that happened to me because I then literally went to China and I learned everything. And I, yeah, as in I, I, I had gone there before with the subcontractor, but my check my check-ins were at that point were much more kind of check-ins rather than actually sitting there and driving it. Um, whereas this, this way I actually went there for months, like two, three months and literally drove it through the production line. And uh, I learned so much, like, you know, uh, like I said to you, I'm an optometrist, I'm you know, no engineer, but I had to learn how all this stuff works, you know, whether it's tooling, flow lines, you know, um, electronics. Um, obvi obviously, I didn't end up then doing all the electronics, but it's like knowing how all the different components work and stuff. I was going to say more practically, though, I'm just trying to think of it in terms of if you were to start this kind of like today, yeah. like, and, and you say you did have all that learning, all that feedback from that event. Yeah. Did you have to, like, how would you kind of prepare yourself for China? I guess if you were to do it again, yeah. would you have to kind of like make the designs yourself in the UK, make all this stuff in the UK and then go to China? Yeah. Like, how would you even find a factory? Like, there's so many things that I'm thinking <laughs> of, like challenges that would come up. Yeah. So I think a few things, yeah. Uh, firstly, uh, prototype your product to death. 
before you actually go into the manufacturing phase. That was one major mistake that we made. We didn't spend enough time in prototyping. That prototyping can happen here, but it's actually better off it happens in China once you find the right factories. Um, oh, really? Okay. Just because then the factory finds it easy to translate that prototype into mass manufacturing or product versus if you take to them a prototype you built here, they still need to reverse engineer that and do it in their way with their machines and all that stuff versus you're rather better off giving them something um, to prototype themselves. So at least they learn how to do it and then you're improving those prototypes and then you go into the manufacturing phase. But taking it back a step into the factory side of things, I think what's really important is when you're sourcing and looking at factories, um, you know, clearly look at Alibaba, you know, look at all those kinds of things, but try and get a recommendation um, that's really, really important. And, uh, you know, factories that I worked with, I probably, the products that I took to them or the products we made with them were probably pushing them to the limit. So I think what's really important is knowing that your factory has headroom. Um, so looking at the products that they've made and looking at the complexity of the products and comparing that complexity to your products and making sure there's a good match there. And they've got that headroom to then make stuff. Um, so it's not, it's not that they're, you're going to be the best product that they've ever made. Um, because, um, unfortunately, you know, at the beginning, you're not, you're going to struggle with a factory like that. Um, and, and then also you have to kind of bear in mind costs because the bigger the factory, the more sophisticated it is, the higher the MOQs, the higher the development costs, all that stuff. So it is a bit of a balancing act, you know? Um, so yeah. Um, and, and I guess finally just reach out to people. That's something that I probably didn't do enough of, it, you know, sp speak to networks, speak to people that have done it before, learn from them. You know, don't make the same mistakes. Get get recommendations for which factories to go to and stuff like that. Definitely. I think I think a big challenge, as you mentioned before, when it comes to the costings, is is the minimum order quantities, the MOQs, as you mentioned before. Yeah. Like, how do you kind of get over that? I know you, you talked about getting emotion, like getting the factory emotionally invested in you, and I think that's something that we've actually talked about on the podcast before mm. uh, for another manufactured pro product. I guess how do you do that, especially when there's like a language barrier, where if but and stuff like that. Like, how does how do you do that basically? Going down there, firstly, is a big thing. So not doing it from distance, actually going there shows the factory that you're serious. You actually spent the time going out there. Um, money talks with these guys as well. So getting and putting some money down, so whether it's like, you know, in a sampling or tooling or testing phase so that they can see that there is money here and it's not like the business is going to go bust. Um, you know, then they, these will be commercial decisions that these people will make. They're always going to be looking for new partners that they can grow with and, you know, they're going to have wastage on, of certain partners and they're always looking for acquisition, right? So um, you're pushing on an open door there with the factory. Um, but at the same time, uh, they are a business and they're on a time and materials model, right? So the the actual materials will be cheap, but, you know, the expensive thing for them is the staff. Um, so when it comes to actually how you make it, it's about listening to them, um, not always agreeing with them. You have to learn that balance of pushing them uh, as well. Um, but you have to listen to them because the longer it takes to make products, so physically staff and, you know, their factory workers, the more expensive it's going to be for them. And therefore it's going to drive the cost up for you as well. So it's really important that you do listen. Um, and, um, I think the final thing is, um, you know, making sure that you're clear with them from an economics point of view, um, where you're trying to hit MOQs, um, whether it's, um, you know, unit costs things like that. The, the worst thing you can do is come to them at the end or, you know, change of mind or 
you know, things like that. Because then you start to lose confidence, you know. And that, I'd say at the very beginning, before you place your first order, your biggest currency you're going to have is confidence. Um, it's not something that, you know, is tangible, right? It's just, it's an emotion. Um, and that doesn't matter whether it's language or not, right? Confidence is uh, universal. Um, so I think it's really important that you get that confidence from them. This is an area of business that's very, very new to me and I love hearing about it because there's so many similarities between producing and testing and manufacturing products uh, compared to software. There's so many testing phases that, that Asad actually followed that you can you know, run parallels with, with software. But I wanted to ask Asad, what is the next stage of that manufacturing process of the prototypes? And I guess what was the next stage in the growth process of his company? Yeah, sure. So, so we lost a bit of time in the manufacturing for, uh, phase. Then we had COVID where one of our factories shut down. <laughs> so, so we lost we lost some time there and we ended up launching the business in October 20. Um, once we launched, uh, it was literally just all about um, uh, getting out to market and, um, and essentially building our scalable marketing funnels. Um, so whether it's, um, whether it's establishing Google, was Google the right channel? Was Facebook the right channel? Um, was Instagram, uh, and, and to be honest, because we're in a product and a market, which is an everyday product. And because people are working from home, um, now and needing to use their technology more than ever, uh, it's all of the above. Um, and, um, but what we have, I think we've really done well and we focused on is building the foundation in the business. We got a really strong email database. We got a really strong newsletter. Uh, getting getting forty percent plus open rates now, um, you know, and um, and then off the back of that, we've built layers layer upon layer. Uh, our e-commerce, we made a few mistakes on, like trying to uh, we've gone for quite a hand cut solution. Uh, probably should have gone down the Shopify route initially, um, but we are where we are now, and we're investing in in that further. Um, but I think, um, yeah, like our focus year one has been validating the concept, even though I've kind of validated it kind of through Lanzine Festival and all that. Um, but actually, until you actually get out there and, you know, selling stuff and getting that feedback and learning, you haven't properly validated it. So now we have, and now we're building, I guess, the next phase is how do we really make this like go right uh, so year two is all about scaling it but it's this is the thing it's a market with so much kind of there are a lot of i don't know if you want to call them competitors but in my mind there it's a lot of noise because there's a lot of yeah very cheap products it's a lot of sort of unbranded stuff that's you know directly from the factories in china it's not it's not good quality stuff yeah. but that's at the end of the day what you're competing with as well how do you kind of as a brand i know you've got these different marketing channels and stuff like that but as a brand how do you kind of stand out from from the from all that noise to yeah to kind of overcome all of that so i think firstly the product's got to be the hero so the product's got to be good it's got to uh, solve a problem uh you know deliver on the promise for the customer help them do more uh with less which is very much what nolly's all around um so i think that we've we focused hard on that um now that is a iterative process and i think what we need to continue to do is to deliver products that that do that um, I think next to that, we've got, we obviously made sure we've invested in the colors, the materials, the finishes, the products. Those are those kind of emotional kind of feelings that you get from a customer. Um, and so we wanted to build layers. Uh, you know, I think building a brand is about, you know, like building those layers up. And um, so it's not just what it does for you, but how it feels when you touch it, 
how it looks on your wall, how it looks in your bag, all the, all those small things. Someone goes, oh, what's that? You know, it's it looks and feels and acts that little bit different from anything else in the market. Um, I think on the other hand as well, we've made sure our prices are good. Um, we wanted to be a DTC brand, so we're reasonable price. We're not quite at Anchor's price, I'd say, in some areas, but we're not far off it, to be honest. Um, and as we grow, we can be even more competitive. Um, so I don't think we can, we will have a problem in trying to compete with people like that in the future. Um, so I think value for money is really important. Um, and uh, finally, I say like being small, like and acting small and giving great service and like, you know, um, and that's, that was one of the reasons we wanted, to, we wanted to do the store as well, because like, it's about really touching and feeling and, you know, um, uh, building relationships with our customers. Um, and I know it's like only London right now, but um, but yeah, retail, retail is something that we're excited about actually for 2022. We want to build on that because the store's done well. Yeah, I think that's a very kind of underrated thing is that because a lot of a lot of businesses try to act bigger than they are for whatever reason. There's a lot, a lot of different reasons as to why, but kind of owning that you're small and kind of speaking to your customers more on a personal basis, mm. I think can be is extremely powerful. Definitely. And it's it's really good that you that you found that I found that with my own business as well. Um, how have you kind of nurtured that with with this kind of store experience that you you say is obviously doing quite well? Yeah, so so um, I have quite a bit of experience in retail, so I knew that um, like when you launch a store, you need to like just spread the word basically. Um, so so we've done done three events, so three three different um, evenings. We've done, done one around Design Week in Shoreditch. Um, we did an event on color. Uh, we did obviously a launch event, actually on four events. We did a product launch as well. So that and those events, we got like 100, 150 people there. Uh, it was buzzy, uh, drinks, you know, all that kind of stuff. So spreading that word has been like really, really key. And then uh, on top of that, like, um, when people are coming in, just giving like a wow experience, like so team focused so that, you know, everyone that walks in, walks away, um, you know, remembering Nolly, even if they don't buy, they like remembering Nolly and the people in the store and their representation of the brand. Um, and, and so, you know, we've tried to like in-store, we've done like tea, like, you know, saying like doing tea in-store, we got um, like little, like if you buy something, for example, um, we've got these two dice, you roll, roll a double, you get like a free cable, you know, like little things like that, like we just gamify the experience, but just just to like add a little bit of fun as well, because that's what retail's about, right? You don't get to have that same level of fun clicking on a website. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so so um, um, that's why like I think it's worked, because it is that little bit different from... Again, it comes back to the same thing I was saying about the products, you know, same thing with the retail experience. Like my comp competition there is a mobile phone store, um, you know, like an O2 or a Vodafone or whatever. So I, I probably don't need to do much to make it better, but um, we've actually tried to like, yeah, make it look and feel totally different. I, I loved hearing about all that journey. And uh, as I mentioned to you before, I've been past that store, inside the store many times. And if yeah. you are in Shoreditch, if you're in London, definitely do give it a visit. It is very cool inside. and. I haven't tried the tea yet, but I probably will please sometime, do, sometime soon. Please do, no, please do. <laughs> Asad, it's been it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm sure so many people have learned a lot about you know the, man the manufacturing story, 
behind it. And I'm sure they're very keen as well to see the story of Nolly going forward. How can people stay in touch with you and Nolly um, going into the future? Yeah, no, uh, thank you uh, once again for inviting me down. Um, yeah, please, please do follow us on Instagram uh, at Nolly. Um, my, my own personal Instagram handle is at, at Asad Hamir. Um, and the Nolly website is uh, www.nolly.com. We've got some great offers and stuff running all the way through Christmas. If you do want to try any products, uh, feel free. And um, yeah, thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Asad. Catch you later. So I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur, the last one of this year. We'll be back in 2022. If you did enjoy this one, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. As a thank you, I'll give you a shout-out in the next episode, which will be in the next year, um, either January or February. I haven't decided when I'm coming back. I still am recording a couple episodes, so there will be they won't be launched until, they won't be published until the new year. Um, but we've got some great guests coming up, so please do hit the subscribe button either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We're, we're pretty much everywhere including youtube actually so yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode and also all the other episodes that you listen to across the year and across you know the last year and a half it's been such a great journey and all the reviews are so so lovely so thank you so much again and i'll catch you in the new year i hope you have a very nice december and a very happy new year feels weird saying that in november but we'll we'll go with it (laughs) thanks again